0: Andy is a best selling British novelist and former British Army infantry soldier. He was the British Army's most highly decorated soldier when he left the SAS. He has since written many works of fiction and non fiction, from military history to thrillers and books for children, including Bravo 20 and the best selling Nick Stone and Tom Buckingham series. His latest children book, co written with Jess French, is called My Mum Is a Spy and is a funny, action packed adventure. Um, why- Oh, I mean, I feel that we met years and years ago when you came to Australia. How many times have you been to Australia?
2: Oh, maybe blah, 10, 12 times. Oh, Just a over lot of I've got friends in Adelaide as well. So we, we, we go to Adelaide and, you know, we've done the... All the tourist sort of trips, you know, from Queensland going all the way down on the East Coast on the Cook Highway, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's good. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. So you love it here, obviously, and you yeah. know it well. But I think my experience was um where you had your first book published, or maybe your second book, but I remember it to be Bravo 20. Or maybe I remember because I was a bookseller back then on the, working on the shop floor. I've got to tell you, I sold hundreds of copies, hundreds and hundreds. Good. That's what we're not here. That's right. That's what every author wants to here right yeah but it, was, exactly. it was such an unusual thing um at the time and I don't know if anyone's done it since but talk to me about your life growing up I mean it's extraordinary and I don't think I knew until now until doing the research that you were left at the hospital as a baby I don't know if I knew yeah. that at the time so yeah, let's yeah, yeah. start
2: there yeah well I was I was left at a uh, south london hospital as a couple of days old uh, baby and it was uh, an ambulance crew that found us at the the entrance of the you know the a the accident and emergency area so uh basically I was, I was in uh i was in a home until i was about five i think it was and uh and then got adopted by the cleaner Uh, Who used to come in and and clean in the in in the home, and really bizarre in in them days. She used to take kids home at the weekend. You say, "I'll have him, and I'll have him. I'll take him home again." You imagine that happening now? Just yeah, even. But um, so I was adopted uh, when I was five. There was I had an elder brother in the house as well. Who was also adopted from the same home by the, by the same woman We weren't natural, you know, biological brothers So that that felt, do you know what, it felt alright You know, the, yeah. I thought, that's that's what I thought what happened I thought, well, you, you know, you're in a home and then someone sort of picks you up and takes you home Like um, that happens so, to all thought, of us <laughs> Yeah, exactly, It's that's, that's what goes on So yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was great and I, I, I even liked it in a home And then uh, it was sort of, uh, I was born into sort of, uh, not born, uh, I was adopted into, you know, working class family as such you know and the dad was doing all sorts you know he's basically he was window cleaner then he was a a milkman and then he was a you know working in in plastic molding I had no idea what that was but he was a plastic molder for for mm. some years you know all that sort of stuff my mum used to you know clean and she used to work in a in a in a laundromat that sort of stuff um and we lived on a council estate you know social sort of housing and basically uh, I didn't bother with school because, you know, I always thought oh, everything's going to be all right anyway, so that, don't need to worry about school. And landed up at 16 in uh, juvenile uh, detention. Uh, and at that stage in the in the UK, uh, we had what was called the Ballstall system, and it was all about something called the short, sharp shock. The idea was to, you know, the government of the day decided what they're going to do. They're going to scare these sort of 16, to 15 or 18-year-old kids
0: um, were you them, causing you know. trouble um, on the estate? Is that what was happening?
2: Well, yeah, basically I, I got yeah. arrested. And we, at that time, I think we were called juvenile delinquents at that time. And, uh, you yeah. know, the government was going to get grips of all the juvenile delinquents. So this system was imposed. And um, so I went at a ball stall and I don't know, it was, well, it was in North London. And and literally, you know, I'd never been north of the River Thames. I could have been in Scotland for all I knew. Yeah. All I knew was my <laughs> my, my estate, you know, the, yeah. and that was it. And at that time, it was a lot of organisations that were uh, lobbying government to say, look, the ball stall system doesn't work. There's no re- rehabilitation, education, all that sort of stuff. So there different groups were allowed to go into the ball stalls. Um, and one of them was the army, uh, all about social mobility, you know, try and get these kids to do something else. And that's when I thought, "Well, all right, I'll, I'll join the army. Because the deal was, if you signed on and they accepted you, you would leave the the, the ball and uh, and that was it. So great, so you sent it's to ticket out. Yeah, so I thought, well, I'll do three years, uh, and then I'm out, uh, which was the minimum time you could serve at that time. And then, because I was only sixteen, I went into um what was called an infantry junior leaders battalion, where you 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 served a year there. and what I didn't realize is because all the training is a year long as opposed to six months long. Uh, you signed off for six years So I thought right The army's ripping me off Because um, I've had to sign off For for, for six years As a 16 year old But it You know It got me out of ball stall
0: Did and... you like it Initially Did you No No, I
2: didn't. no. I, I thought, Oh okay that, uh, Well it was worse than ball stall I thought Because all they got You know the, You had the instructions What to do So I got my hair cut And you know it Turned up They took another layer off So you're there With this number one Sort of crew cut And I was 16 Nearly 17 by then And uh, every day You had to shave I didn't have to shave till I was about 18 Or 19 properly anyway you know, I had acne. Oh. So I'm shaving off there with the, oh, of the spots don't, every morning. Finish. Don't. This army business. I <laughs> know. Oh, this army business, you know, and oh. it's, uh, you know, all the, all the marching and all that sort of stuff. Actually, it, it took about about three months, uh, what they called the bedding in period anyway, to start getting the, the the reasons why all that sort of stuff went on. And then once you get your head around it, it was all right. And what, what I couldn't understand was, uh, which I do now, but I didn't at the time, I couldn't understand why uh, kids were. Because uh, that's what we were, we? 16. Yeah. I? yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't understand why they were all like, homesick. And, you know, the people who there was a, the, the first couple of months you could sort of leave early. And I couldn't understand why they were all homesick. And, you know, what I mean, because the, actually, well, the reason was because they had quite nice, stable family lives. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so. I
0: what was your that. relationship with your parents then at that stage? Your adopted um, parents? Yeah, it was it was all right. It's, um, you know, they, they
2: were, for me, they, it was like a waiting room. Yeah. Um, they were right. You know, I wasn't sort of, you know, physically, sexually abused, all these sort of stories that you hear, everything uh, was all right, but probably left to have too much freedom. Yes. You know, because my, uh, my dad used to work at nights. Uh, my mum used to be out in the morning. So it was we call them sort of latchkey kids now, yes. you know, where you've got your pee yes. and you're... And I thought it was great, but that was the problem: it was a bit too much freedom, I think, mm. um, uh, to do you know what what I wanted to do. But uh, yeah, you know, my dad thought it was an idiot joining the army. She was a, at that stage; he was a proud deserter from the army catering corps during national service. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well they, they he wanted to join the navy when he was conscripted during the national service here in the UK. And they sent him to the army to learn how to fry eggs. So they said, oh, I don't like that. So <laughs> he left. <laughs> and, and so all the time was in the army. So i had done 18 years in total. They used to, the, there was an amnesty for national service guys. It was a, an administration thing, you know, sign a bit of paper. And you actually get a day's pay. And I used to say, well, come down, you know, come down to where I am. You know, you do the paperwork and, you know, you, you get a day's pay. And he still wouldn't because he was so proud that they never caught him. <laughs> Yes, yeah, well. and he was, and, he was and, and actually, on the on the good side of it, he was a better cook than my mum. Mm.
0: Mm. That well, that's good training, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, talk yeah, to so me so about,
2: about your career, career right. in the army. Uh, so, I joined this this infantry junior leaders mm. battalion
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, at, at sixteen, and for me, what what happened? That's when. My education started because up until then, I didn't realise the reason why I was in infantry and not flying helicopters like the recruiting film we saw at at Ballstall was that, um, well, in fact, all of us there had the numeracy and and literacy sort of uh, rate of a nine to an 11 year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is in, in, in education parlance now. It's called Key Stage 2, of, you know, between 9 and 11. And it, for me, it, my life all changed, not only in the military, but sort of um, uh, education-wise anyway, because the, the the we had – I didn't realise, you know, I thought the army was ripping me off again, sending me back to school, an army education corps.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the guy there was, was, was brilliant. He said, look, the only reason you lot can't read and write is because you don't. So today, all changes, and this is how we do. So my education actually – started there which which was great you know realizing that that actually i do need one um, so a so, guy
0: who was illiterate at nine or had the ability of a nine-year-old at 16 goes on to be an author to be yeah. A writer. Yeah, yeah
2: i know it's mad isn't it it's yeah um well, uh, it just and shows it, what you can do well, exactly and it's well it's still now i go into um well our underperforming schools you know they yeah, they're, they're in a league table so they're going to underperforming schools are going to prisons and, and the workplace as well uh in the factories and all that and tell this sort of story and uh basically saying lads if I can do it you can mm. you know it, it, it's of not so as if yeah that's what's going to happen but actually it gives you you know at least you've got a bit of
0: a fighting chance yeah um yeah so you're in the education division and yeah. tell me what happens from there. You'll learn to read. Yeah, and write. Well, well, education started from there. And
2: uh, unlike what I know now, it's, it's infectious. Once you start, I say, you you know, you, you've cracked it. It's, it's like a drug. Mm. So my education carried on because within the military, you can be the best soldier in the world. But if you haven't got certain academic qualifications, you, you're not getting promoted, you know. So that was the, mm. the, the reason why it was this big education set up. And, uh, and in fact, the, the military education in the UK is the biggest adult education setup.
0: Oh wow! Uh, yep. In
2: Europe, it's an amazing, yeah, it's amazing because has got to take like people like me, I suppose, and you know, sort of educate them. So I I'd, I I'd, I'd served a year there, and then I I went into um, an infantry regiment called the Green Jackets, which is a, a light infantry uh, regiment. And so for the first sort of four years, uh, I was there for eight years, and the war at the moment uh, at that time was Northern Ireland. So we used to do these mm. uh, things called emergency tours. Uh, so you. It's between four and five months, about five months maximum. Uh so every year we used to do these emergency tours. And for an 18-year-old squaddy, as you know, as it was, because you couldn't go until you you was 18, because a couple of years before that there was so many sort of under 18s getting killed, you know, young soldiers mm. getting killed. So the, the 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 age for operations was changed for 18. You know, the first tour <laughs> I went, I went literally uh, uh joined a battalion on my eighth birthday. And I I actually thought it was all right. I, you know, because you don't spend any money. You know, she yeah. buy a bit of toothpaste, a bit of soap, and that's a, that's that's about it. You got fifty p extra a day then on that first tour, which was amazing, and uh, and soft toilet paper, <laughs> <laughs> all, all the luxuries in life. You know, because in in the you know in the battalions, you get that grease proof stuff. Um, I don't oh. know what it's called, but anyway, that paper, <laughs> crinkly paper stuff. And so you'd come back from this tour with with over like a thousand pounds. So I was an eighteen year old with a thousand pounds. Yeah Um, And all the second-hand car dealers Are all waiting for you You know When you come back In the the garrison town So we all used to buy Old crappy cars And um, you know Used to crash them Or to get stolen And you know Just chaos because you'd only be in the, in, the, in the garrison again for maybe about six months, and then you'd go back to Northern Ireland. So I'd do the same again, save the money, up, buy an old crappy car, crash it or, or, or whatever, not worry, do it again. So after about a third tour, you know, I still had no money, I definitely had no car, so I thought yeah. I'd better switch off this, this army business. And um, uh, so eventually in the, in, in the infantry, I um, uh, became a, uh, a platoon sergeant in, in a rifle company. And that's when I thought about joining the, uh, the, the Special Air Service or what's similar, known as the, the, the regiment. They get these, you know, within the military, it's just called the regiment. And it's full of like, you know, there's full of horror stories of, about the selection process and, you know, all this this sort of stuff. Um, but I thought, well, I'll give it a, give it a go.
1: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: And was oh. it a rig- rigorous selection process? Yeah, it
2: was, yeah. 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 I, it, it's on average, there's about... It's a six-month process. On average, yeah. there's about 200, maximum 220 on each selection, two selections a year. And between eight and 12 people uh, per selection are, are, will, will get through the whole sort of uh, wow. six months. Yeah, it is quite selective. And so it's, you know, people think it's all about sort of, you know, I don't know, even toughness and all the sort of things Yeah, there's loads of tv shows that that, Mm. you know pretend to be like the selection process but actually as well as the the if you like the physical stamina is the aptitude to do that sort of work and actually the aptitude to learn quickly as well because you know you know i went as a, a you know say a sergeant from the infantry and i sort of knew a bit but and didn't know anything what they wanted us to know, you know. So what was happening? You got to have the ability to take that all in, that information in as well. Uh, so, which is just as part of the selection as anything else. And I, so I passed. John. Hang on, let's
0: let's go yeah. back. Just so I yeah. passed. Just give me some examples. Can you give me examples of some of the things you had to do?
2: Yeah. Well, the the, the first month is actually what's technically called selection uh, and the rest of it's called continuation so the first month is just spent in the uh, uh the black mountains um in wales which is uh the, you know to the west in the west of the, of the uk so basically what it is is just navigating across uh the mountains uh bracken and, and the black mountains with a, a burger and a backpack on and a, and a weapon and, and map reading and Every day, you don't know the route and you don't know the weight of the Bergen you, you've got to carry. So it's between 15 kilometers and 64 kilometers. Um, wow. you know, last one is 64 kilometers. So what happens is that you you know, you know get dropped off uh, in a truck and say, right, where are you? And you show them on the map. And they say, right, go to a, this grid reference, eight-figure grid reference, which is a square, 10-square-meter sort of area. And they go, which way is that? And you point and they say, right, you better go on with it. So... You don't know the cutoff time for the day's what we call TAB, uh, tactical advance to battle. So you just got to keep moving as fast as you can and, and, and map read. And what it's designed to do is obviously to see if you've got stamina, but uh, yeah. and also mental stamina, just keep he on is. going every day. Because a lot of people who go, you know, I don't know, they think they're going to be James Bond or something. I don't know what goes on in their head. So what that does, that gets rid. Of a lot of people who you know haven't got enough commitment. Sometimes it's through uh, uh, injury, and it's there's people who will be injured that would have good made good special air service soldiers, but there's no way of dealing with that. And so my selection, in fact, there was there was 220, and that got us down to 24. So there was 24 left for the next five months um there's lots of stuff you do you learn demolitions and different all sorts of stuff you know the bases of, of what they want to they they want to show you and to see if you can take that information in and then the next big hurdle is the jungle phase so you go you go into the the, the jungle i went to um uh, brunei and you go in for uh 31 days in a little four-man patrol and learning uh, the tactics how you know special forces work within a, a jungle environment but it's not only that it's to see if you can you know work sort of unsupervised yeah. uh, work yeah. in a team some people find the sort of jungle quite claustrophobic you know they just haven't got the aptitude for that sort of uh, life and everything during the jungle phase is done with uh, live ammunition so uh, there has been sort of deaths people have been, have, have been killed during the, uh, the, uh, the, the the jungle phase there's people who have been wounded during the jungle phases uh, and the argument is is well, the, the training's got to be realistic because otherwise you, it's not a good duty of care yeah. to the people with who do get in a squadron and they've got to do it for real. You know, you, you've got to. You, it's pointless training for training purposes. So, out that jungle phase, there was twenty four of us went in, and then eight of us passed that. Um, yeah, wow, uh, only eight. And you go down and then you you move through. There's lots of other things that you you've got to do, but the next final hurdle is. It's called combat survival, and it's basically it's two parts. There's one part where you learn, you know, all all the sort of survival skills, you know, making tea out of barks of trees and catching rabbits, and all you know, surviving in in the field. And the other part is called R to I, resistance to interrogation, where you learn mm. different techniques from different people, and then you then go on the run, and. Uh, uh, there's an infantry uh, uh, company that's out to try and find you in helicopters and dogs and all that sort of stuff. By design, you are caught anyway. And then you go through a system of interrogations because all countries have got interrogators and interrogation centers. So it's the only part of the selection where the the regiment training team can't pass or failure. It's the, it's the organizations, the interrogators uh, that come in and you, they, you know they, we get taken to their facilities, and then we go through an uh, interrogation system uh, uh, with them, and they're the ones who say if we passed or failed. And uh, and, and actually, fortunately, all eight of us got through that final sort of. Uh, and is uh, it period.
0: is it this real interrogation? Like, is it yeah what, yeah, yeah, the, yeah yeah
2: the torture yeah. that they Basically, use? Well, no, it's not. It's not torture. People, you know, people do uh, land up in hospital. I think that in some cases, um, it's the it's the mental strain rather than the. Yes, and the, the, the physical strain. So you, um, you know, you you you're held in in um in isolation. You're held in stress mm. positions. You go through the interrogators because the interrogation organizations use it for them as training as well for their interrogators. Yes. Yeah, You've that makes really, sense. Yeah. So you and 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 the way that you know you conduct yourself in an in interrogation and and the, you know what information you can get to To see where you maybe are in their in their process, that sort of thing. So, just as important of, of going through that interrogation, I think mine. Uh, again, you lose all sense of time and and and. Distance. I thought I was in for maybe about fifteen hours. It was thirty nine hours because you you know you lose all that that sense sense of time. Um, but the important thing afterwards is that you have a big debrief with them as well. So they talk about what they thought of you. You talk about what you sort of gained from them because you're always blindfolded and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, and then they you know, obviously, they you know, they, they pass you. And, again, there's about another month of different training before you get what's called bags where you become, you know, you join your your, your Sabre Squadron. And what happens is no matter what rank you are, you lose all your rank and you start again. So I was a sergeant and then I became a, a trooper,
0: like a private soldier right. again uh,
2: within the special air service, and then you have to sort of start
0: again. And how soon was it that you got your, your kind of real geek uh, well, well, within
2: two days. I, basically, it, the squadron, were all, I, I joined B squadron and uh, B squadron were already out on uh, an operation in Southeast Asia. So uh, I got badged on a Tuesday and well, flew out on a Thursday and met them sort of, you know, about three or four days later. So they were, they were already in the rainforest. So I turned up as a new boy you know with the, with the uniform smelling of daz and you know new boots all that sort of stuff. They'd already been in for about you know a month you know with the big long beards and all that sort of stuff. Um so literally it it, it was which was good actually it was it was because like the whole squadron was there because sometimes you might join a squadron and cuz different groups are different places all over the planet you might not meet somebody who's part of the same squadron for about two years you know but yeah. because it was yeah. quite a, a squadron you know there was a squadron turnaround on 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 that operation at that stage and so everyone else was there so for me it was actually quite good that you got to see you know all, all all the people within the squadron it's only about 60 you know it's not as if there's hundreds of them but
0: it was quite you know it's quite good so it, do they do jobs like go in and get hostages or you yeah. know is it is it what we see on in movies? Is yeah, but it's, di- yeah, it's different,
2: yeah. Basically, what, what it is, is, in is, all nations, it's the sort of same remit, really. It's, it's maintaining the UK's interest overseas. So mm. that's, you know, so, you know, if it, it is Australia, you know, maintaining Australia's interest overseas, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so part of that is the, uh, the the counterterrorism wing, which is called CRW, Counter-Revolutionary Warfare, and part of that is the all the guys with all the black kit on and the hostage rescues and and all that. And that's a tour that you do. A squadron does, and it takes nine. Uh, it's a nine-month tour. So you do a three-month yeah. build-up, nine-month tour. And what that is is a national and an international sort of uh, uh, commitment. You know, a UK uh, uh, commitment. So all that stuff goes on, uh, which are called like black ops. In the way because you're wearing black. Uh there's green ops, which yeah. uh something like uh Iraq and Afghanistan would be green ops because you're wearing all the party gear, you know, the, the yeah. uniforms and the armor and all that. And then you've got things that the um uh grey ops, and they are more of the civilian type things that you do. You yeah, know, for instance, um uh, i done a uh, spent a year in Northern Ireland with mm. the Special Air Service, so which was called the Troop. So that's all sort of you know long air, fast cars, and all that sort of stuff. You think and you know sort of you know weapons, pistols, down your ankles, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that would be grey ops because you're not in uniform. You know you're sort of trying to blend in.
0: So how long did you stay, and why did you
2: leave? Yeah, done uh, ten years. So uh, wow, years wow, in total. Yeah, and I became the, the, the troop sergeant of an air assault troop. Uh, and uh Gulf War happened, done the Gulf War, Bravo 2-0 uh, experience happened. And then I served another three years after that on another one of these Grey Ops. in, in a um, there's, there's two sort of wings, if you like. There's they, They've got different names now, but it's Counter-Revolutionary Warfare Wing, which, is, again, is the anti-terrorist stuff and the guys in all the black assault gear and all that. And their job is to stop stuff. And there's another group called revolutionary warfare wing and their job is to start stuff you know to start all right. that stuff up you know, to get it, which is a lot easier actually yeah and uh so i i was serving um three uh yeah just nearly three years after the, the Gulf war I was in rww and again you know, long air and cars and all that and then one of the operations i was involved with was a thing called first strike in Colombia, which was an anti-drugs brick commitment to try and stop crack cocaine and cocaine coming into <laughs> uk so that the Americ which was an American uh funded uh job, but that was being privatized by the Americans in a thing called Plan Columbia. So what they were doing were getting all the uh special forces guys, the Brits and Americans who had taken part in those operations, uh, and uh the private mili- military companies that were given the contracts, if you like, by the Americans, then would we'll come to people like me and say, Well, like, do you want to get out and uh, go back for Plan Colombia. And so I had, I had four years left, and that was the end of the time in the military anyway. I'll, you know, that, that was it. I'll, I'll be out. That's the end of the uh, the contract. And so about so' about 12 of us um, uh, were getting out to go back to Colombia for Plan Colombia and work for one of the private military companies, yeah. uh, which is a normal thing. You know, it happens sort of a yeah. big cycle. Different things come up, and all the military companies are, you know, it's the same people anyway. You know you know them anyway because they, they come from the same environment. Uh, so I was going through that process to get out and then i was invited to uh a, a general's house which isn't an invite you know you will be mm-hmm. there at like half 7 sort of. mm-hmm. <laughs> and the proposal was put to me to write a book yeah i know yeah i, I even had, was given a dress code for this informal sort of you know dinner but um the, there was an offer put to me and said well look you're getting out you know you, you, you're going back working for one of the pmcs would you consider writing a book along with uh, uh, the, 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 this general, about the Gulf War. He'll talk about what's going on in Riyadh and the command centre and Schwarzkopf and all that Why sort of stuff. Why you? Well, because of the Bravo Two Zero experience. And then, so I'm thinking about it, and well, you know, it's not doing it for my benefit. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Um, so uh, I found out about how this you know how this book business sort of works, so I went back to him a couple of you know, well about a week later and said, well, "Look, if I do it, I will. I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to do it in, with, with this general." And, and that's what happened. I got out. Um, the well, the book was published. Uh, One yeah. published. I was in Colombia, and yeah. you know because everybody thought it'd be a do all right, you know, yeah. but not as well as it did. So I get a phone call from the the publishers uh, in London. And I said, yeah, you know, the book's massive. It's you know, it's like number one here, there and everywhere and all that. Do you want to do another one? And I thought, well, what do you think? You know, get us a ticket and I'll I'll be back to London you know, tomorrow. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. how it all started. And all did side. you um did you like was it a pinch yourself moment when that book sold well and you like from where you came from to where you are now? Yeah. 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 It was interesting, because again, I knew nothing about publishing.
2: I knew you yeah, know, not of course. a clue. Not a yeah. clue. And, and yeah this whole thing happened you know and it sort of just it literally kicked off like another extreme so it was sort of it was interesting because you're sort of one extreme in in a special air service mm. and then sort of then move into another extreme within publishing you know because within about i don't know about Three months of the book coming out, and then I was living in Los Angeles, and I was there for about a year year and a half working on films and all that sort of all all that sort of stuff, you know. And literally, that you know, there's you know that really was a sort of pinch moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm living on Santa Monica near the beach. You (laughs) know, okay,
0: and I weren't even paying for it, and I weren't even paying for it. This is better (laughs) than the jungle, right? I know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so what made you start writing children's books? Well,
2: two two reasons really. There was Going into schools, it really, really was clear, uh, talking about, you know, the, the the prospects of reading. It really, really was clear that you know, once you get kids reading, uh, mm. it is infectious. It's it. You've cracked it. Mm. You know, mm. absolutely. It's like a drug. You, you, you've you cracked it. So and it, it was certainly in the, in the, in the early days we we're looking at, certainly here in the UK, quite a lot of books were quite patronising. Mm. you know these kids were watching sex and murder on on soaps at half 6 at night sort of thing you know much more switched on than a lot of the books sort of given credit for so I thought like, well let's make something sort of more sort of realistic you know certainly for the 12 year olds um, upwards mm. uh, and that's how it, how it really all started uh, and then obviously you know my Mum's a spy is 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 the younger sort of group so this is the like if you like the new venture getting in there you know to see if if sort of seven upwards it's just getting them to read once you get them to read that's it. You've got them. You've got them. Mm.
0: Andy McNabb, it's been wonderful chatting with you. It's almost been like a, a wish come true. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time. Thank it's you. true. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. I have followed your career um, and it's been an absolute privilege to chat with you.
2: But if no, thank you very much for having me. It's great.
1: luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.